2: Welcome to the 240th ever show of all around sports. Where each Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's ahead for the weekend. To join the show, the call in number is 1 888 346 9144, or you can email me at IIR at comcast.net. Which comes to me through my website at iirsportsoneword dot com. As always, I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week. Also, we will be joined next segment by our weekly call-in expert, A. P. Studham of Bama Magazine. Well, a tough week in the world of sports, where we lost two uh, sports titans of the twentieth century. Uh, of course, Muhammad Ali died last Friday, and then last night, Mr. Hockey, Gordy Howe, died. Tough week, two all-time legends, uh, to say the least, and uh, that leads right into my highlight of the week, which is the week-long celebration of the amazing life of Muhammad Ali, who today is being memorialized in Louisville. I've been watching the motorcade all morning long on ESPN, which is live from Louisville. And uh, this has been a remarkable outpouring of emotion, befitting that of a head of state. uh, Remarkable video, and we still have the afternoon to come, as uh, truly the world uh, shows its appreciation for Muhammad Ali. Of course, we all have our memories. Uh, All of us who grew up with and watching Muhammad Ali, uh, everyone has personal memories, and I have mine. My top one is easily uh, 1971, the Ali Frazier One fight at Madison Square Garden. Easily the biggest sports event of my lifetime. And growing up in western Pennsylvania, a uh, high school kid, and it was all we talked about for weeks leading up to it. And then the day of, one of my high school friend's fathers decided to take our, his son, our friend, uh, one of our boys, uh, to drive the two hours over to Pittsburgh to watch it on uh, what I'll call now as pay-per-view. But back in those days, it was just, you know... You had to pay a uh, uh, pretty penny to go into an arena. In this case, it was the Civic Arena, the famous Igloo, uh, where, of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins have played. And, uh, and yeah, to watch the fight with thousands of others. no different than the viewing parties uh, that we see now. Um, but, again, it was just, you know... Again, the biggest sporting event of my lifetime. I can't put it any other way. Um, There'll never be anything I don't think quite like it. Uh, I heard a remark this morning that, you know, championship fights used to be bigger than Super Bowls. Absolutely true. I remember those days, and no championship fight was ever bigger than the first Ali-Frazier fight. Um, And... You know, it's obviously not that way anymore, but it sure was that way then. My second memory is uh, the Leon Spinks fight. We're fast-forwarding to the end of Ali's remarkable career. And, uh, you know, to steal Ali's line, Leon Spinks shocked the world (laughs) by beating Ali himself. Uh, Leon Spinks and his brother Michael were all pretty, already pretty famous as, you know, uh, gold medal winners in the Olympics. And uh, But, you know, no one saw that coming. And watched it with a bunch of friends. And, uh, uh, again, just one of the all-time uh, great nights out with a shocking, shocking result that uh, anybody who watched it will never forget. In between... We had years and years of, uh, when I think of Ali, I just think entertainment. I just think of the banter with Howard Cosell. Uh, You know, back in the days of Wide World of Sports, uh, this was just priceless stuff. You literally could only get little tastes of it here and there, uh, maybe a couple times a year on a Wide World of Sports. And that was just the way it was. Uh, But boy, when you got it. You loved it. And uh, you talk about the ultimate match made in heaven. Well, that was it. Howard Cosell and Muhammad Ali. Uh, I remember, like it was yesterday, we've all been seeing it all week, you know, when Howard Cosell called Muhammad Ali truculent. I was watching, and, you know, I just never forget it. And Ali's, of course, famous response was if it's good, I'm it. So, yeah, it was just uh, great stuff. And then. Finally, my you know one of my all-time first sports memories of my life was literally listening on the radio to the as a little kid to the Muhammad Ali match against Sonny Liston uh, the night he became heavyweight champion of the world and thereby once and for all entered the world's uh, consciousness. Uh, certainly knew Cassius Clay had won the gold medal, and uh, I always remember that fight for being in Lewiston, Maine, of all places. And, uh, yeah, again, one of the first sports memories of my life. And this is a perfect transition into uh, my low light of the week, which let me appreciate it by saying that one of the other first sports memories of my life was Bill Mazaroski's home run. And speaking of Bill Mazeroski, uh, my low light of the week was the planned big time party in Pittsburgh last night where they were looking to win the first championship within the city limits of Pittsburgh since Bill Mazeroski's home run in 1960 again I was a 6-year-old kid when it happened I do remember it the entire and growing up in western Pennsylvania 2 hours away and it was just uh, I think it went a long way towards me becoming a sports fan and sports media member um Crazy game five, but you know, tens of thousands were turned out, you know, outside Console Energy Arena, where they have the viewing party, so much so that they closed the streets, opened a second viewing party in what's called uh, Market Square, big gathering area in Pittsburgh. Uh, but San Jose Sharks sent them, uh, sent them all home without. The first championship in 56 years to occur inside the city limits of Pittsburgh. It's just amazing uh, being from that area. It's just not something I had even thought about until, until this little factoid started surfacing this week. And, uh, yeah, obviously remember them all. Started my career covering the Steelers as a newspaper reporter. And, uh, you know, of course, six Super Bowl victories, obviously none in Pittsburgh, Previous two Stanley Cups. Didn't even realize they were, uh, forgotten that they were occurred on the road. Uh, but the two Pirate Championships, in the meantime, that I remember well, both occurred in Baltimore in 1971, 1979. Speaking of memories, I can remember where I was for both games one, game sevens in both of those series. Uh, fabulous, fabulous memories. Uh, but yeah. Still may occur if uh, the Sharks win game six on Sunday in San Jose. There'll be a game seven back in Pittsburgh this coming Wednesday night. And uh, everything we saw last night, which was awesome outside the streets, inside the arena, will occur again, but on a much bigger scale. Um, let me just quickly break uh, as I look at ESPN Sports Center. I mean, front and center. Uh, with Hannah Storm, Dr. Harry Edwards, Jim Brown, and Lou Alcinder, uh, all sitting at the little desk there, uh, you know, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Uh, it's just been like this all day. Amazing, amazing video going along with the Muhammad Ali Daylong Memorial. Uh, back to my bizarre story of the week. Which is the blowouts in the NBA Finals? Uh, It's it's getting irritating. I don't know how else to say it. Um, You know, two blowouts in San Francisco, followed by the Cavaliers blowing them out. I don't have a horse in this race. Uh, You know, I just look for storylines in this type of situation. Plenty of them, but uh, you know, as far as non-competitive and really. By midway through the third quarter of all these games, you know you could just turn them off. It takes a lot for me to turn off a championship game, but these are bordering on that. And I heard a statistic. It's clearly the year of the blowouts in the postseason. I think I heard something like 19 or 20 blowouts have occurred in this postseason, and a blowout being defined as you know a differential of 25 points or more. Uh, that's a remarkable number. Uh, to put it mildly. So, yeah, I mean, the, the big storylines here are, you know, uh, obviously the Cavaliers have stopped the Splash Brothers in all three games, even though the Warriors are still up 2-1. Um, so that's been something we haven't seen all year. And the Kevin Love, the the strange saga of Kevin Love. It's just been, you know, strange for a couple of years there. Obviously, he played the first two games that get blown out in San Francisco, in Oakland, and then doesn't play, and the Cavs, you know, in the gut-check game of the year, showed up. But Kevin Love is cleared to play tonight, uh, so that will be interested. interesting to see how that all pans out. Um, LeBron was huge in Game 6, uh, Game, excuse me, Game 3, like he was in that Game 6 that I often discuss back in... 2012 against the Celtics, and uh, and Steph Curry uh, certainly needs to uh, come up with a, a LeBron-like night like he had in 2012, uh, either tonight in Cleveland or certainly if Cleveland wins no later than game five in back in Oakland. Um, so now let's take our break, and next up will be our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham,
3: Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lassiter.
0: We're making it
3: easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144, or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net.
2: Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports, and I'm your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we often have guests and on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bamba Magazine. And A.P., how are you doing today?
4: I'm doing great, Sean. Doing great. How are you?
2: I'm doing great as well. Uh, you know, quite a day, quite a week. Uh, you know, the passing of Muhammad Ali. I happen to be awake late. Something that sounds like 1 a.m. last Friday, uh, should I say early Saturday morning, when the news came, breaking news on ESPN. And let's just say I was moments away from heading to bed, and uh, that ended that as I stayed up for another hour. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's been quite a week with. Remembering Muhammad Ali, I, I listed a lot of my personal memories. Everyone of our generation, so to speak, uh, let's say over age 40, for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, has personal memories of Ali. Remember where you were moments. I've given mine to begin the show, and I'm guessing you probably have some too. Yeah, yes, I, I do, John. You know, he
4: was just someone who transcended sports, and, and then I think, just reflecting on his his life, I'm not sure that everyone was rooting for him. Well, I know not everyone was rooting for him, but in the end, he kind of, you kind of drifted to his side. I think that's something unique about Muhammad Ali as a sports figure and just as a personality.
2: Well, he became a beloved person, and you're right, it took time. Uh, He was a polarizing figure. Again, I... You know, in the volatile times of the 60s and 70s and 80s, but especially the 60s uh, and 70s, uh, Vietnam, all that, uh, he polarized households, uh, you know, including mine, to a degree. I mean, we grew up in Pennsylvania, so let's just say that uh, Joe, Joe Fraser was pretty darn popular in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, so, you know, sure my was. father. He was. Yeah, you're very <laughs> And he was the anti Ali, quiet, you know, sort of blue collar, for lack of a better way of saying it, Philadelphia boy. And, you know, my father loved Joe Frazier. And, uh, you know, I think that was repeated in millions of households around the country. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, just, you know, a fascinating you know, guy, and of course, you know, he was viewed by, we're talking, you know, the world, the post-World War II generation. Many, you know, with everything swirling around, Ali, you know, being stripped of his title, not, you know, not going in the army, Ali, Supreme Court decision, all of it, you know, this was all being viewed by the veterans of World War II, (laughs) of which my father was one. I mean, again, just... You, you can't recreate times like that, that's for sure.
4: No, it was very turbulent, uh, J- John, and, and people had to make up their mind. You had to really choose sides with your own government, which was unique. I mean, they grew up in an era of World War II. There was, you know, uh, the country had been attacked. And so, of course, you have to you know, defend your country. But Vietnam, where, where is Vietnam? What what part of the world is that located why? Why are we fighting there? I mean, all these questions came up, and those who challenged authority and Muhammad Ali sure did. Mm. They they had a, a a figure to rally around. Whereas, you know, as you said, the the World War Two veterans, you know, they were called and and they defended their country and they and they took up the uh, cause, and there was no questions, and they didn't ever challenge the authority. But as we as we look back, we know that maybe we should have stayed out of there and, and let France, as, as you know, France was in there in the 50s, and they said, you want it, you can have it. And the United States, you know, there's nothing that they like better than the challenge. And uh, looking back, I, I don't know if that was the best course of action for the United States. But anyway, Muhammad Ali, he, he uh, chose to uh, not enter the draft, and, and so he had an uncertain future. I mean, he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know if he was going to win that challenge or if he'd be serving in jet.
2: So oh, exactly. He
4: courageous. Yeah, he was courageous in that regard.
2: He was arrested, I believe, and booked. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I, yes. I don't have any strong memory of jail time. Uh, it's tough to remember at right. all, trust me. But, he, you know, I do have a pretty strong memory. that I believe he was arrested, booked, you know, trials, uh, ultimately, uh, you know, government decisions, you know, was vacated unanimously, let me add, by the Supreme Court. Um, and... Yeah, but he, you know, he missed the three and a half prime prime years, maybe, you know, of his career. And uh, you know, I'm just looking here. I mentioned uh, Abdul Jabbar and Jim Brown, and it was interesting this week where they interviewed John Wooten, Wooten, a uh, uh, former Cleveland Brown, great NFL player from the 50s and 60s, who was talking about and was part of those famous meetings that occurred with Ali, and this is the footage they've been showing in the last few minutes on ESPN while we've been talking of, you know, not only Jim Brown, but, you know, it was Bill Russell, (laughs) Um, you know. It was the most famous, uh, famous athletes of the era, Uh, you know, got together to, if I remember correctly, you know, support Muhammad Ali. And, I mean... Uh, just momentous times and and Jim Brown was you know uh, no shrinking violet himself when it came to social issues as was same with Bill Russell but other many others as well as a big crew and John Wooten who I've had the good fortune to interview and write stories about for the NFL Uh, he's a special man and you know I just didn't realize that he was part of all these famous meetings with Ali and Brown and And, you know, Jabbar, I mean, I remember Jabbar, I think it was Lou Alcindor at the time, coming out of college and, you know, with John Wooten and all that swirling about. John Wooten, excuse me. I'm, I'm mixing it up. There's John Wooten, former NFL player, and John Wooden, the iconic coach from UCLA, who coached, of course, Alcindor. And, yeah, I mean, this was all, again, this is what we grew up on. I mean, this type of type of stuff was happening daily, you know, just imagine John Wooden's view of, you know, just Lou Alcindor getting involved in the middle of all this, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, Bobby
4: Mitchell was there. Bobby Mitchell. Bobby Mitchell was part of that group, and uh, I guess, John, you know, when I look back at Ali, I'm thinking, here's a, a, a figure that was spied on by his government, and persecuted by his own government and then in 2005 he's receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I mean, that's that's quite a a transformation.
2: It's amazing. And, you know, lighting the torch at the Atlanta Olympics, another truly post-fighting career iconic moment, maybe his most iconic moment after his boxing career ended. Um... Yes. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but I I think I can say this given what I'm watching on TV all day long. No surprise is exactly what the type of thing reserved for heads of state or whatever. But, you know, he had a certain Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, martyr turned, you know, icon aspect to his life, for sure. That's obvious. I mean, when Nelson Mandela considers
4: you a hero, thats I don't know if there's a, another sports figure that will have that reverence. I'm not sure, John, in our lifetime.
2: Correct, and I'm not comparing, you know, Ali's being stripped of his title for three and a half years to Nelson Mandela spending decades in prison. What I am comparing is they, along with Gandhi, you know, they stood up for their cause, whatever it was. just that simple. And not everybody does that.
4: <laughs> no, no, no John and, and just you see the political climate today and people cannot be even forthright when, and, and call something by its true name even today and you're, and you're thinking, you know Muhammad Ali, they're celebrating his life and, and today we have figures out in the world, and they can't come come forth with truth. honesty in some of their answers it's amazing
2: well it really is um yeah it's just uh you know i mean we you and i we we lived his life i mean we were just you know i i was just all along when you grow up with some somebody something whatever you you just it becomes part of your life and you know is like uh taking a walk alongside history as far as Muhammad Ali goes i mean you know i remember uh, you know i said in the opening segment the ali frazier one in 1971 at madison square garden was the biggest sports event of my lifetime and i can retire the trophy there will never be another big one bigger one period end of story i don't care what it is it was just, uh, you know, I had a friend went over that day. I was in high school. His father took him over to Pittsburgh, drove two hours to watch it at the Civic Arena, and what, well, you know, that that era's version of a paper of a viewing party, <laughs> but you paid a lot of money to go. I think they paid, I think they paid a hundred bucks per, per person in 1991 or 71. Excuse me, which is a stunning figure. What I meant, my friend was literally the hero. Of the entire school, I mean, <laughs> and, and what I and this is stuff you remember. The father came and like pulled him out of school early, with you know like the principal's approval. And I went to a Catholic high school, so it was like you know a priest's approval. But that, that there you go. That's that's how big this kind of stuff was. You know, so they could make it to Pittsburgh in time, two-hour drive to watch the fight, and you know. That's how big it was. You know, later on, like a year later, a bunch of us got together, high school kids. And that's what like, you could get the actual tape. This was even before VCRs, but you could get, like, a, a tape of it. And I had a projector. And we all got together. This is a year after the fight, to watch the fight, you know, on a, on a projector. I mean, that fight, Ali Frazier won. Uh, again the, the, this is just how just how important it was in, in in that time and uh yeah i mean i i also recalled you know the the leon spinks upset of ali i don't know if you remember that one but that was an unforgettable night
4: yeah i remember that Jen. i can't remember the site i mean one of those was in new orleans i think right i can't remember which one
2: right that might have been the one the superdome i think that but was okay. maybe
4: okay could have
2: been yeah, could, could
4: have been either the original or the rematch. I can't recall, but yeah, that was quite a moment because uh, the Spinks brothers—they were kind of popular Olympians, Michael and Leon.
2: Exactly, and, bingo. And they
4: were—they were interesting characters, uh, and it, you know the the world of uh, boxing uh, had become familiar with them through the Olympics and Howard Cosell. Right, so very you know, familiar. <laughs> Yeah, so and here it is, Muhammad Ali, the Olympian from 1960, competing against somebody from, I think it
2: was the '76 Olympics. Well, exactly right, and uh, and it was just a huge upset, but yet the person pulling the upset, Leon Spinks, was known by all. Everybody knew who, the name Leon Spinks and, uh, you know, the famous toothless smile, but, you know, with that... Again, you know, with all of Ali's fights, uh, you know, the, the country, and to a degree the world, came to a halt when Muhammad Ali fought. And I don't care if it was, you know, Jerry Quarry or <laughs> Joe Frazier or, you know, uh, uh, what was the other one? Oh, Ken Norton. That was the other huge upset that, again, it, stopped right. everybody at their tracks.
4: Yeah, I mean, just looking at the venues, John, I believe
2: that was Yankee Stadium, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I saw a picture in Sports Illustrated of uh, Cleveland Williams, who Ali just battered, laying uh, on his back on the ring in the Houston Astrodome. Talk about venues. I remember when those two fought <laughs> the Astrodome. Uh, George Savalo, there's another. I mean, all these names of, like, Sort of second-tier boxers, for lack of a better word, and everybody was second-tier next to Ali, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> for but, sure. I mean, yeah, but they all became household names. Here I am, decades later, easily, easily <laughs> remembering all of the names of all of, you, of, all of the guys you fought, easily.
4: Right, right. Um,
2: I think what Ernie Terrell, right? Ernie, Ernie Terrell. His, his, there his you go. Who was
4: the, the, the singer? The singer with Marvin Gaye.
2: Yeah. I mean, Larry Holmes, I always remembered him, you know, he was like, quote, a sparring, he was, not quote, he was the sparring partner, you know, for Ali, and, uh, you know, he was fairly famous, because he was a sparring partner for a lot of years, but, you know, most people knew the name of Larry Holmes as just a long-time sparring partner with Muhammad Ali, so, you know, and, of course, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and Ali spent some time Uh, training in, you know, camps, for lack of a better word, in Pennsylvania, where you would get away from civilization, literally, easy to do down there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. AP, we could go on and on. We can go on and on. But we should take a break, catch our breath. Uh, But yeah, uh, we'll have more to reminisce about right after this break.
3: Perfect Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or Twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN.
2: To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we often have guests, and on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Studham of Bama Magazine. And, A.P., you and I spent the entire previous segment talking about Muhammad Ali, and quite frankly, we could just easily go on for the rest of the show talking about Muhammad Ali. There's just so much to talk about. But uh, there was yet another sports titan of the 20th century died last night Uh, that of course being Mr. Hockey Gordie Howe and you know I think all you need to say about Gordie Howe is that Mr. Hockey was his nickname. (laughs) I think that pretty much sums it up right?
4: John, he was the figure that when we were growing up, I mean, when you thought about the sport of hockey, it was Gordie Howe and, and whoever else. I mean, uh, you, you around Boston, you know, Bobby Orr, those, those two guys. And Bobby the, Hall the was,
2: may have been the only other one in the conversation.
4: Right, right, right. And uh, but, but Mr. Hockey, I mean, when you right. have your own moniker,
2: yeah, uh, that
4: uh, I mean, you're, you're representing the sport. And uh, he, you know, he was a tough, tough physical player. You know, a good scorer, of course, but uh, I, I've seen him in situations like that at golf. I mean, he, he's just a real gentleman, real, real nice person. He seemed to be to all the all the fans. You know, he he understood that part of his his business.
2: He did. He did. He was again, you know, he beloved throughout. And uh, you know, he had. Sons who played with him and you know for many years had nice careers, uh, but you know, in the end, I think you know, for all his talent and whatnot, he played for four or five decades. I think he holds a lot of records for playing in various you know decades of time be it 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe even 2000s. But he played into his 50s, which just about says it all, and he played more than capably.
4: Oh, oh, yeah, John. It's actually six decades, John. I mean, that, that's... Six decades, wow. I mean, that, that's unfathomable. You know, unfathomable. I mean, to play in six decades as a professional athlete, I, I can't imagine that ever being duplicated unless it's, I don't know, maybe some golfer or something, right?
2: Maybe. Um, but, you know, and, of course, for... Uh, we New Englanders, uh, there's you know very strong memory that of him playing for the now defunct, but you know, uh, still remembered, shall we say, Hartford Whalers, and Gordy <laughs> Howe playing there was like you know that was a big deal, you know, uh, to say the least. I remember it well. Yeah, he he
4: was
2: the person that brought that
4: franchise to life. I mean, Ecky uh, was later in his career, I think he had retired for quite a few years and then came back.
2: That's my know, memory, to too. For,
4: to play for that team. So, I mean, he energized the Hartford Whalers. I mean, that was the reason to, to attend any of their games, in my mind. I mean, I saw him a few times, and it was just fun for me to say I saw Gordie Howe.
2: Wow. That's impressive. I, I don't think I ever did. And I, well, I know I didn't because I'd remember if I did, period. Um... That's amazing. Now, and my memory is, is that he played with his sons, or at least one of them, during his time in Hartford. Is that accurate? Is that your memory? Yeah, yeah my memory was, he, I think with was a couple of them, John. Right. I think it was Th- a couple of sons. That was like, you know, not to be sound disrespectful, but that was the sell job. That was the promotion, so to speak, to, yes. put, to put the whalers literally on the map.
4: It sure it sure was, and, uh, and, it, worked, like and it worked.
2: It worked. Oh yeah, it sure did. Because people to this day they love those
4: Hartford Whalers. They they love the memories and all the things that happened uh, when Gordie was part of the team and beyond.
2: Yeah, and it's important for anyone listening to the show to recognize uh, that you know, AP has spent time living here in New England. I have obviously as well, and live here now. A week doesn't pass where you don't see somebody in a Hartford Whalers jersey, period. And that's Austin, (laughs) certainly Connecticut. Uh, Plain and simple. Do you agree, AP? I mean, the the, the logo, the jerseys, they still live very much up here in New England.
4: Oh, they sure do. Yeah, they love that team.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, well, again, you know, uh, and and just how ironic uh, you know, just that Gordy Howe would pass when you know, uh, you know, during the Stanley Cup Finals, and you know, frankly, on the same night, is just a you know, just a shocking hockey upset, one that probably Gordy Howe, uh, you know, and assuming he was neutral, you know, would have loved where the San Jose Sharks go in and you know, take Game Five from the Penguins on an unbelievable goalie performance. Uh, but, you know, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area and it's got, you know, I've the fact that last night could have been the first championship won inside the city limits of Pittsburgh since Bill Mazeroski's home run, which I remember as a six-year-old, one of my first ever sports <laughs> memories hearing that on the radio, you know, right. has really gotten me to do a lot of thinking because I certainly remember the 11 championships since then. <laughs> And boy, the scenes last night were incredible, where tens of thousands turned out, out. Uh, first of all, for the viewing party outside Console Energy Arena, where the Penguins play, of course, and uh, so crazy that they had to close down the streets, they opened up another viewing party at a uh, main, main spot in downtown Pittsburgh, uh, Market Square, and, uh, you know, put up, you know, for another viewing party. Anyway, Pittsburgh is ready for a party, thousands in the streets, and the, the it didn't happen. There's still a chance it may happen. Uh, and yeah. if there's a game seven on Wednesday night, and game six, of course, is out in San Jose on Sunday. But yeah, I was really enjoying last night watching just all those familiar views from the streets of Pittsburgh and Knowing again, the city was really ready for. What can you say? The first championship won in the city in 56 years. That's remarkable.
4: Yeah, I mean, I know the TV. The TV people love to extend the series, so I know they're happy. And I'm, I'm sure that the commissioners office they they like us that type of thing because they're extending the the sport. So you know, and, and it's nice to see competition, John. Right? I mean. And when oh, yeah. winning in the seventh game, then and, and you're happy, you know, because you can recall how we, we took it all the way to the seventh game. We won it in a dramatic fashion.
2: Well, exactly. You know, obviously, you know, I like the Penguins. I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, but, you know, I also like more hockey. I, I, I wouldn't, I'd be happy if they won last night, but I'd also be staring at, you know, no more hockey or, you know, and. I'm glad they're, you know, what depends to win it, you know. um, I'd love to see them win a game seven in Pittsburgh. I think that would just, you you know. Everything we saw last night on television, which was fairly remarkable, both inside the arena, the game itself, and outside the arena, will be recreated at an even higher fashion if there's a game seven on Wednesday night in Pittsburgh, uh, where they'll still have that chance. And, uh you know, uh, but speaking of, you know, just more hockey, more whatever, this, uh, you know, this whole Golden State Cavalier series is like, I'm not loving the blowouts. I'm loving the talent. I'm loving some of the interesting storylines. But yeah. I think I, I heard there's been like 20 or so blowouts of 25 points or more in this postseason, and obviously all three finals games have been Blowouts, blowouts—like you can turn it off at the end of the third quarter level.
4: Yeah, Jen, I—I I, I don't really quite understand it.
2: Yeah, I'm not loving it.
4: You know, and why so so many games have been—I mean, twenty-five and thirty-point victories. I, I just don't understand how what happens where the game gets away from the other team. I mean, right. it's not even close. Uh, it's like the Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde thing going on.
2: Yeah, just wild, wild swings. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, no different than the hockey game last night, you know, where the Penguins, Pens were down 3 2, and the last minute was amazing. Uh, two minutes when they pulled their goalie. Uh, you know, that's what we all watch the NBA for the final five minutes, uh, and we're not getting any of that. And so, yeah. <laughs> Not loving that. Uh, we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, but, you know, in both finals, obviously, I, 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 you know, the more hockey and the more basketball, the better. I just like to see the NBA uh, games be a little closer, and I'm guessing they probably will. Maybe they're setting, up for, setting us up for some classic, you know, game five, six, and sevens finishes like all timers, I hope. The talent's there yeah. for that.
4: Yeah, yeah, I hope so, John. I mean, that was the standard joke, John. I don't need right. to watch the NBA game; just turn on the last five
2: minutes. <laughs> that's exactly right. Now it's like you watch first five minutes, and hey, I'm all set. <laughs> I.e., Cleveland, Cleveland up, up nine nothing the other night in the first two minutes, and you know, generally speaking, I said, "Oh, right, well, you know, that, that that's it." The only little mm-hmm. thing in my ear was like, you know, well, it's the Golden State Warriors, the best comeback team, but they never really did. They closed the gap no. here and there, but no, yeah. never had the, it was never close ever.
4: No, and,
2: uh. and Steph, yeah,
4: Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. I mean, they, you know, the Golden State. Their, their method of winning is if those the Splash Brothers get hot, or if they're not hot that night, then the other ones pick it up.
2: But so
4: far, it hasn't worked that way.
2: Right. Well, nobody has shut those two down, the Splash Brothers, for three games in a row all year mm-hmm. long. So yeah. uh, you know. Uh, that's the thing I'm most interested in seeing tonight, along with, of course, Kevin Love scenario. He's been cleared to play, so we'll see how that all plans out. Will he start? Won't he? On and on. So, it, you know, there's always good stuff, but you know, we I think America and us, we all want to see, you know, some games in question going into at least the fourth quarter. Right? That's not too yeah. much to ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah.
4: You don't want to turn it off at the
2: end of the third quarter. I mean, that's, that's quite a bit of basketball. Oh, exactly, exactly. Uh, well, AP, uh, a few more items to get to, but why don't we take our final break of the show and uh, don't go away because we still have a little college football to uh, discuss on the other side.
0: Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market. Check your feelings at the door and enter the Man Cave. Don't let the name fool you because we're here for anybody that wants to talk and listen in. Hosts JD Harris and Ray Austin are here to lead the forum from the fans, former players, owners, execs, and coaches. While inside the Man Cave, you do whatever you like. We won't judge. We'll even go beyond sports to talk technology, current events, and entertainment. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
2: America listeners, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. I'm your host, John Inglesby. Back on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And before we get started, my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing is indeed the Penguin Sharks Game 6 Sunday evening from San Jose. Uh, this, the cup will be in the house. Need I say more? So, uh... That'll be entertaining viewing like last night was. And now I want to move into a little college football And AP. It sounds like uh, you were at some uh, pretty interesting meetings last week down south, correct? That's that's
4: correct, John. That's correct. I was at the SEC spring meetings in Destin, Florida, and the SEC presidents, the athletic directors, Football coaches, men's basketball, and women's basketball faculty representatives are all congregated for most of the week, uh, the day after Memorial Day was celebrated. And, uh, so, you know, they had some topics that they wanted to discuss and introduce. So one of the things, John, that you're always trying to get the right call, so there's a collaborative replay. There'll be a central command post in Birmingham. Uh, there'll be three people in, in Birmingham and they're going to identify, you know, some of the calls that should be re- reviewed, but, but they're not going to make the call themselves. They're gonna just going to identify those, you know, tight situations and the person, the, the, the group that's actually at the game will make the call, but they're going to try to get every call correct this year and uh, so it's a new concept. And actually they... They had a test run at the Alabama Spring game. And so they were satisfied with the results. So you can look forward to hearing about the expression collaborative replay.
2: Wow, okay. Collaborative replay. That's a new one. But one I think I'm gonna become familiar with as will all <laughs> we sports fans. Uh well that's great. I mean, you know, there's I know a few conferences were holding their meetings, uh, You know, there's conference meetings and then there's conference meetings, i.e. the SEC. They're the, you know, uh, behemoth of the college football world, especially SEC West, for the last practically decade or so. And uh, so, yeah, I'm sure, you know, this is quite, quite, quite the high-profile event, uh, to put it mildly. You, You and I have both been to you know many conference events but uh, i'm sure sec takes it to the next level especially on the beach in florida right
4: oh yeah we had a, a first evening there we had a, a social gathering and there were bowl representatives tv representatives a sponsor representatives so and and with all the coaches uh, there as well and their wives and family members so it was it was very nice to just have a relaxed setting and just talk to people and Get to know all the all the individuals there. And so I, I really look forward to that to that night.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the SEC is the premier conference in America. Period. I don't think that's even arguable. Certainly not in football. That's for darn sure. Um, but that's great, and you know that just leads me into you know really one of our favorite subjects and one that I, I like to think that you know you and I jumped on pretty quickly and uh, has now turned into really what I would call the the number one story of the college football offseason, which, of course, is, you know, satellite camps, uh, Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh sniping at each other uh, in public uh, last week. Uh, you know, this was a, a subplot, I'm guessing, to the SEC meetings, you know, and, uh, you know, Footage of Harbaugh wearing his, you know, be it Orioles and Ravens jerseys with the khakis. Uh, I love it. The guy, you know, he's he's stepping up his game even more than I, more than you and I thought thought he would. Uh, you know, not only is he holding forty or so camps, he's doing things like wearing, you know, uh, the jerseys of the. the I just, I think the guy is fascinating. He really is.
4: That's right. Yeah, yeah, he's he's something to behold. I mean, he. Some of the coaches, John from the SEC, will be having you know participating in camps. The head coaches will be there. Some are sending just their assistants. Some head coaches, for instance, Nick Saban of Alabama and Gus Malzahn of Auburn, they're not going to attend any satellite camps, but they're sending really? their correct. But they're sending some of their assistants out. Uh, to some of these satellite camps so everybody has a different mindset a different philosophy just just like the game of football just because you you know you're a football coach they all don't think alike
2: yeah well you know I I mean my overall thought when I saw Jim Harbaugh wearing you know the Orioles and the Ravens jerseys were number one I loved it but number two with all we talked about Jim Harbaugh a lot he's a Another polarizing figure, fascinating figure, but, you know, what that said to me, just my first thought was, you know, he is a big kid in a man's body. <laughs> that, that was just the first thought that came to mind when I saw that. And I'm sure every kid in America loves that about him.
4: Uh, John, it's funny you mentioned that because he was here in Mobile on Tuesday, and he mentioned that he's having more fun
2: than he's had in six months. Really? Good for him. That's what he's. Yeah, you and I both love the concept, you know. Uh, many don't, but we do, and I think the, the media in general loves it, right? It's more, more opportunities for us.
4: Yeah, how, how they're going to monitor all this, John, I have no idea because it was explained to me at the SEC spring meeting. You're not supposed to be recruiting. You're just supposed to be coaching but if some young man comes up to you and asks you about the University of Michigan, I mean, you're going to have to tell him I can't speak about my school. I, and, right. and then there's always there people wh- looking God. for, for aut- autographs and photos. Some of those are, are uh, against the rule book. I have no idea how NCAA is going to uh, manage this situation.
2: going to be fascinating to watch, and we've been on it since day one, and we're going to continue to be on it. Right, AP? Yes, sir. We sure will. No doubt about it. Uh, AP, thank you so much for calling in, as always. Your perspective was great, and uh, we appreciate your your, uh, your great stuff every week, that's for sure. Well,
4: thank you, John. It's always my pleasure.
2: And thank you all for listening to All Around Sports, and we look forward to doing it again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.